you're listening to the Aim to Win podcast. I'm Wade Thomas, and I believe that every one of you has a wealth of potential just waiting to come out. And I'm here to help you reach that potential. So now, here's the Aim to Win podcast. Welcome to the Aim to Win podcast. I'm Wade Thomas, and today I'm delighted to have with me Emily Sander. Emily is a C-suite executive and founder of Next Level Coaching. As an ICF certified coach, she guides clients towards new perspectives that enable them to adapt and evolve as leaders. And she's the author of the book, Hacking Executive Leadership. So welcome to the podcast, Emily. Thanks for having me, Wade. So there's one thing I really like to get these things started with and uh, so that people know who they're listening to. And that question is, tell your story. How'd you get to where you are and <laughs> where are you and where are you headed? You like to start off with that small question. Small uh, question. Tell me your, your entire life story. Um, sure. So, you know, I got uh, into the business world just kind of out of college, like a lot of people not knowing what they wanted to be when they grew up. And I had aspirations of being a good leader. I remember thinking that to myself, but never really thinking I could make it or that was kind of for other people. Um, and I had my fair share of uh, trying things for the first time, being put in charge of a team through a, through a series of circumstances, I got dunked in the, in the deep end with ankle weights, uh, ankle weights, and it was a sink or swim situation and through aggressive self-improvement and through reading and learning and being mentored, got to the point where I could manage that team and then just grew from there. So grew into uh, the leader I am today and being able to mentor and coach business professionals and business leaders from all around the world. But um, that's, that's in a nutshell, my story. I remember being extremely uh, nervous going into team meetings, uh, especially leading my first team meetings. I remember being very nervous, just even managing someone hiring and firing and all those types of things. And now it's funny to think back because I actually train people and coach people on how to do those things. So it's come pretty full circle, but that's uh, my journey in a nutshell and happy to dig in further on any aspect of it. Yeah, so you made a decision to get moved from leadership to teaching leaders how to lead. But what inspired you there? Yeah, I, you know, going through this myself, I learned lots of lessons just by trial and error um, on what worked and what didn't. And I was like, oh, Emily, that wasn't, that wasn't the best thing to do. Let's, let's try something else. And then, of course, working in a series of companies uh, with different teams and different colleagues, uh, a lot of the same things were coming up for my colleagues and then um, my coaching clients later on. So I kept seeing the th- uh, same things pop up over and over again. And that is actually the inspiration for the book, where it's like, okay, let me let me put these down and get this information out to more people, and hopefully it can it can help them. Um, but you know, really, it was the mindset of me not thinking of myself as a leader, not thinking of myself as someone who could, you know, I had I had that picture of a board meeting um, and that table and someone being at the head of the table, kind of with that power pose, uh, leaning over the top of the table. And I thought that was so far away from me and just, just that's for other people. Um, and, you know, getting to the point where, uh, you're like, no, I, I lead my small team meeting. Uh, oh my goodness. I actually add value. I can manage people process and tools. I invest in people. I care about them. And lo and behold, they, they are more productive and they're happier in their work environment. And, and they, do good things for our our clients and our clients are happy. And so the business succeeds. So seeing all those things in motion, just from being a person who um, is trying 
uh, ha- is trying very hard to be a good leader and has the intent to, I want to get good at this. And I, I didn't believe I could do it, but now maybe sort of, maybe it's in grasp and maybe that's in my wheelhouse now. Um, and, and proving to myself that I could do it over and over. I think it was, it was kind of an organic process from there. And then I kind of sit here and go, oh my gosh, you know, kind of a double take, look around my shoulders. Like what, what just happened? How did I, how did I get here type of thing? It's kind of interesting. So you kind of went from that first view of the the power pose at the end of the the seemingly endless conference room table, whatever it might be. Did you find that you changed into that type of leader or did you find your own way? That's a great question. Um, I found my own way. I, to be honest, at the very beginning, I probably did do a little bit more impersonating than I, than I should have. Um, so I said, okay, who are some great leaders? Let me try to emulate them. And I think that's a good approach to a certain extent. I think one should absolutely look at different types of leadership and different uh, aspects of people's games, so to speak. So, oh, I want to take that part of his game or that part of her game and incorporate it into mine, but really make it all your, all your own. And the word authentic gets tossed out um, a lot these days, but there is some truth to it. So no one can be a better you than you. Literally in whatever room you're sitting in, uh, in whatever country you're in, in, across the planet, no one can be a better you than you. And people can feel when you're impersonating someone and trying to be someone else versus being yourself, even if that's stretching yourself and, and going on your growth edge to become the best version of yourself. Um, I think at the beginning, I was certainly, I just need to be like Tony Robbins and be rah, rah, rah and be out there. And now it's like, no, 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 I can be me and be the best version of, of me. And that's, and that's even more powerful. Yeah, I, I love that because I see that a lot in my own practice, you know, leaders that just feel that they have to emulate somebody else. And then they feel like they're failing because they're not successfully emulating someone else. And you know, that's right. You're kind of finding, finding your own path and being authentic. And yeah, maybe that word's getting to be a little stale, but it's just, it doesn't mean it's any less true. Right. right. And, and it's uh, so powerful to really be that authentic to yourself. You know, how does somebody that's really, they've grown up watching these, these archetype leaders, how do they break away from that to actually be authentic and, and, and find out first of all, who they are, and then learn how to really incorporate that into their leadership approach? It's tough at the beginning because in, in my 20s, when I first went into management, you know, who you are as a person is kind of still being formed in a lot of ways. Um, and so there is a bit of blend between life and kind of figuring out where you stand and being grounded in who you are. And then from that, I think, springs forth your, your leadership style as a natural extension of that. But I think, you know, being pretty clear on your values, being very clear on your values and what you stand for. So integrity is a huge aspect of leadership that just to me is a given, but um, out in the world, you kind of have to say it like, no, you need to act with integrity. You need to not cut quarters. You need to not backstab people. You need to do what's right because it's right and all of those things. So um, having values like integrity, having values like servant leadership, having values um, like all of those, all of those types of things, being able to articulate that Um, starting with yourself. And then when you are in front of a team at a team meeting, being able to articulate those to your team. So everyone's very clear. I think that's kind of like the North star. And if you need a compass or a grounding point that can really ground you. And then all of the decisions that you make 
throughout the day, throughout the week, et cetera, are pointed towards those. Um, so I'd really, I work with my clients on establishing, you know, what do you stand for and what is important to you and how do you want to craft your leadership style? So at the beginning, it's, it's aligning your probably personal values and who you are as a person and then having your leadership style be a natural extension. In your mid-career or late career, um, some of those values and goals change. So for instance, people early in their career are often money-motivated, which is a perfectly valid thing. A lot of people chase the title. They want the director title or the VP title or go into the C-suite, and that's very important to them. I've had people who really care about how many people they manage. So the number of people they can say report to them is important to them. Um, and then in mid-career, it's, you know, I want influence. I want to sit at the table. I want to be respected in my organization. I want to be known in my organization. And then late, late stage career, it's I want to give back. You know, I've, I've made my run. I've been, quote unquote, successful in every measure. But it's really important to me that I find the fledgling leaders of tomorrow and I invest my time and energy into that and bring them up. So your, your values and your goals and kind of what you're pointing at can change. But I think being clear at any stage that you're at is, is important. Otherwise, you don't kind of know uh, which direction you're, you're trying to go. Yeah, sort of your own leadership vision. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Excellent. So, so kind of going back to the genesis of your, your coaching career, you said there's a lot of the same things you saw when you're in a leadership role. What, what are some of those same things? Yeah, there's a lot. That's a great question. One of the biggest ones is um, decision-making. And we all can berate ourselves for not making a, a good decision, quote unquote. Um, and some things, some frameworks that have really helped myself and others is, did you make the best decision you could make with all the information you had at the time? So 2020 hindsight's a beautiful thing. Everyone can kind of package up a, a, you know, a box and a neat bow and say, oh my gosh, like we should have done this or how stupid was I to do that. But if you look back and say, did I make the best decision I could with all the information I had at the time? And the answer is yes. By definition, there's no more that you could have done. So by definition, you did the very best you could. Now, if you look back and you knew in your heart of hearts, that that wasn't the best decision at the time. That's something to uh, be aware of and accept and acknowledge and also probably throw in a feedback loop. But a lot of people um, were berating themselves, and I've, I've done this, raked myself across the coals when um, a, decision, a decision didn't go my way. Uh, two other facets of that are um, being cognizant of a decision versus an outcome. So those are often, uh, people fuse those together automatically. So they automatically go, oh, the, the decision I made resulted in a bad outcome. And, there, and so therefore it was a bad decision. But if you switch it around and say, oh, no, no, like the outcome was positive. Therefore, I, I'm a really good decision maker. When a lot of times, almost always they're separate or there's multiple factors that go into how that outcome came about. Um, and there's a great book, one of my favorites is called Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke, and she really breaks this down. But um, a, a great framework to have in mind is, you know, isolating the decision-making process. So am I a good decision-maker? And we should hone and cultivate that skill and then being able to discern and differentiate the outcome. So I made this decision. There's probably multiple other factors that went into the outcome, but, you know, how do I assess my decision-making uh, at that time, and then see it through to the outcome. Um, and then 
The, the other one is knowing your decision-making bias. And by that, I mean, there's kind of a spectrum you can think about. And on one end of the spectrum is a very uh, quick, emotional, knee-jerk reaction. And so you make decisions based on how you feel and whatever you feel in that moment. And it's kind of an emotional uh, punch. And on the other end of the spectrum, you've got the folks who will think about it and analyze it and talk to people and make a spreadsheet and color code the spreadsheet and never actually do anything. So analysis paralysis. Um, and knowing where you are on that spectrum is, is really helpful, uh, especially when you have to flex to the other end of the spectrum or maybe just go a, a little bit further in that direction than you normally feel comfortable with. So for instance, if you um, are faced with a, a decision that's um, that you can't change. So you're going to make this and it's irreversible. And you tend to make emotional decisions and knee jerk. You might want to take an extra beat on that one and maybe get some counsel and sound, uh, you know, have a sounding board session with some people before you make that decision. Um, conversely, if you're on the other side and you like to think about things and think about things and, and think about things again, and you have a time sensitive decision, you might have to be aware of that and feel okay making that decision sooner than you would have liked and just say, hey, I'm a little uncomfortable, but I know that's okay because I know myself and my bias. And I also know what this, this situation is calling for at the time. So those are, those are some common ones that I saw come up over and over again. So I tried to uh, put some frameworks together and concepts together that are outlined in the book. Um, about how you can how you can think about those things. So not necessarily here's the answer to decision A or here's the answer to decision B. It's more like how do you how do you think about this as a concept and how do you um, have a tool in your tool belt? So and so the book the book really kind of provides that framework that you mentioned. How how as a leader do I know where I am? Now how do I become self aware as to what I need to work on? The first thing is, you know, ask yourself and, and a lot of people I say, you know, what type of leader are you? And they go, uh, I am the senior manager of operations. And I'm like, that wasn't my question. <laughs> that's your, that's your title. That's uh, what's on your business card. But what, what type of leader are you? And, uh, another key thing that so many people overlook is asking others saying, Hey, you know, when you think of me or when you interact with me, you know, what types of traits or characteristics or leadership qualities come to mind? Where, where do I do well? You know, where are my development areas? And people sometimes have a, a pretty good inclination, but invariably there will at least be one thing where they didn't, they had a blind spot. So almost everyone will have a blind spot either in the positive or negative constructive category. So they might not be aware they do something really well. It comes naturally to them. They take it for granted, but everyone else is like, oh my gosh, how does Wade do that so well? Like every time he's just on point for that, um, where I struggle with that. Conversely, it might be, you think you're doing great in a certain area and everyone around you is like, Emily, like you need to work on this because you don't communicate very clearly. We don't know the expectations around this when you, when you, you know, give us these instructions. And so I think that's, um, a really valuable and just often overlooked. Uh, I often get questions from leaders you know, I want to do good for my team. Like, how do I know what they're thinking and how do I know what they need? And, you know, how do I, how do I deliver this information best to them? And I start with, have you asked them? Like, what did they, what did they say when you asked them? And I usually get a, a blank stare back. Oh, like, okay. I didn't know you could do that. 
so I would certainly start with the basics. Um, and then there's other tools, of course, like, uh, you know, DISC. I'm a DISC facilitator, which is kind of a behavioral personality type assessment um, and things like that. Excellent. That's, that's really good stuff. Um, <clears throat> I, I want to dive into the, um, the idea of failure. Um, cause I know that's something that you, that you deal with. And I think leaders really struggle with the fear of failure, but what, what are your thoughts around, around that? Sure. I do have a, a chapter in that in my book and failure. It's funny. Um, I have a graph and it's a visual, but I'll describe it for your listeners. So in the book, there's a graph with a series of individual loops and they're a chain of loops. They're all connected and they go up and to the right altogether. In the individual loop, there is a section of the loop that goes back down into the left and an individual loop represents a failure event. So when uh, you didn't do the presentation very well, or, oh my gosh, you did the performance review and that was disastrous. That didn't go how you wanted to, or, hey, you made a decision um, to start your own business and it didn't work out. And now you have to tell your family and friends and yourself that you failed, quote unquote. So that's the, that's the bottom part of the individual loop. A lot of people stop there and a lot of people, you know, sit on the floor and declare themselves a failure, throw their hands in the air and, and, you know, cry and stop. And that's one way to go about it. But if instead you know where you are in the process and you take the lesson and the learning out of that event, even if it's painful and even if it's messy and say, what can I do differently? How can I learn from that and apply it going forward? in that application, you've just swung yourself up to the next loop. And so in the overall chain, you've gone up and to the right. And you've therefore transformed failure in the traditional sense into progress. And it, it may sound trite, but just having this framework in mind and knowing where you are in the process, if you think about it, if someone makes a mistake, learns from it and does better, that is the definition of learning. That is the definition of progress and growth and improvement. And so um, a lot of a lot of successful people that you see out there have failed more time more times than the other guy will try, and that's why they're successful. And so, being real comfortable with that. Oh, I'm in this part of the loop. It feels nasty, but I'm going to swing myself back up and keep doing that, and get comfortable with that is is actually a mark of success. So, I love to work with clients, and I love to talk to people about the traditional sense of failure and and flipping that almost entirely on its head. Yeah, that's, I think it's so powerful because what you said it is the people that are successful are generally successful because they failed more times than others have tried. I, I love that comment. And, um, and it is a tough thing for people to get to wrap their mind around. Um, <clears throat> so can anybody be a good leader? Ooh, that's a good question. I think that almost anyone can be a better leader than they think they can be. Um, so people put unnecessary caps on their potential. And I see this all the time. I've done it to myself where I'm like, I can't do, um, I can't lead a team. I can't do podcasts. I can't write a book. Um, and all these different types of things where you just bust past them and prove it to yourself. Um, I think I was just having a conversation with my friend the other day, and I think there is probably an X factor on the very like top echelon of leaders. So for, I'm talking like Abraham Lincoln, caliber leaders. I think like, yes, you can train someone, um, you can give someone decades of experience, but there might be that X factor on like just the upper echelon, like the 1% of the 1% where 
you know, history and a generation will give you an Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> um, and that doesn't grow on trees and you might not be able to cultivate that. But that's not to be discouraging to anyone at all. Um, in fact, I think most people put a cap on themselves at about 40% of their capacity when people are like, oh, nope, I'm there. I've stretched myself as far as I can go. I'm like, no, 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 you have, you're at about 40%. So um, I would just, uh, there's the Grant Cardone 10X rule. So take your dream that you have today, take your goal and 10X it. And that's about right. You know, that's about right. And even if you're overshooting a little bit, you'll still, if you're going after that 10X mark, you'll still get further than, than the goal that you gave yourself. So, um, you know, it takes practice. It takes uh, discipline and diligence to learn your craft, leadership and people management and running a team and a business organization is a skill like any other. You can learn some of the rope pieces and then experience, and there's an art to it. It's not all science and you have to get that through experience, but being diligent and uh, going into it like a, a new craft, like I'm going to learn um, how to play music. I'm going to learn how to play a sport where you got to learn the basics and then you put it together and then eventually it flows together and you just kind of go into it and you do it without thinking about it. Yeah, excellent. You know, it's, I, I like to say that epic things never happen in your comfort zone. <laughs> That's a great one. I love that. And, uh, and exactly, you know, 40% is a good number. You know, there, there's a lot of room beyond 40% for somebody to grow. Yeah. So if you're a leader of leaders, I'm kind of, I'm going to kind of flip things around now. If you're a leader of leaders, how can you identify the people that have the runway to really excel in leadership? Hmm. Great. There's, there's a number of things you can, you can look at. Some of the first ones that are coming to mind is uh, when people, how people talk about their team. Um, I listen for the word I versus we, uh, I did this or like, I did it as like, did you do all of that? Like you have, you know, 12 people um, in your charge. Like, did you do all of that? And so I, I look for the people who are using language around the team and the process and what's best for uh, their department and their customers. Um, those, those people, like my ears perk up when, when I hear that. Um, also, if folks are buffering each direction. So here's what I mean by that. So when you're, when you're in mid-level or senior management, a big component of your job is to facilitate information from quote unquote higher ups to your team and then the opposite direction. So from your team, you need to advocate for your team to perhaps the leadership uh, meetings and so forth. So are you, uh, I see a lot of people just passing straight information back and forth. And your job is to actually filter that a little bit, not to hold back anything that would be helpful, but really to say, okay, I'm privy to a whole bunch of information um, in my management and leadership meetings. I need to sift through what's gonna be relevant and helpful to my team members and pass that along. If it's gonna be distracting or they don't care or it's gonna overworry them for no reason, I need to filter that stuff out. So how am I communicating um, to my team? And then the opposite way, you know, your team is giving you loads of feedback. They're on the front lines, they're closer to a situation than you are and certainly than your bosses. So are you appropriately asking your team the right questions to make sure you understand and make sure you can put that in context for leadership but then raise those issues and advocate for your team and perhaps customers um, to, your, to your leadership to make sure they're aware of it. So a mark of a, of a good leader who is managing managers is do they do that effectively? 
do they do that that line of communication both ways effectively? It's not easy. It's it's not easy, and I see a lot of people uh, either just pass like word for word verbatim what people say, or they just say nothing at all. And it's like, well, Andrew, like we talked about that. How come you're, we've talked about this for months in leadership? How come your team isn't aware that we're rolling out this new product or this new initiative um, type of thing? Um, so those are uh, some initial ones that come to mind. But um, if anything caught your, caught your ear, let me know and I can go deeper into it. Yeah, I think that's, that's excellent. And it's a, it's a really good framework to, to use. And I love the we versus I comments. That's, that's a dead ringer for it, right? <laughs> the... Um, I think all this has been good. It's excellent frameworks for really how you can step up to be that leader that you're you know, meant to be, for lack of better words. Um, I, have, I have one more question before I let you get away, though. And that is, how do people find you and how do people find the book? Certainly. The book is Hacking Executive Leadership, and it's on Amazon. There's a Kindle version. Um, there's an Audible version. I know people are busy, so you can pick it up anywhere books are sold. And then if you'd like to learn more about me or get some free resources uh, on coaching and frameworks, the best place to go is my website, which is nextlevel.coach. So nextlevel, all one word, dot coach. And you can find some great information there. Excellent. And we'll put all that in the show notes uh, so people have an easy time finding it. Thank you. And I appreciate you coming on today. This is uh, really good stuff. And I think a lot of food for thought for, for leaders and leaders of leaders. And um, Likewise. Thank yeah. you for having me, Wade. Appreciate you having me on. And thank you for listening to the Aim Twin podcast. As always, follow us wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts.